0: Welcome to The Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that He is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. At the very core of hyper-authoritarian doctrines and practices is religious enslavement. Moreover, let us be clear that religious enslavement is witchcraft, a.k.a. sorcery. Thus, it follows, then, that hyper-authoritarian doctrines and practices are, at bottom, witchcraft. And that assessment is not at all an extrapolation, but is based on the intrinsic nature of the teachings. Moreover, it is hardly necessary to point out that witchcraft is something of the devil's domain and not God's. It is this reality that makes these teachings and the practices they promote so decidedly aberrant, as well as repugnant, to those who are cognizant of it. Though it be so that these doctrines and practices amount to witchcraft, The problem is they have already been infused into and become an integral part of the doctrinal and structural system of a large segment of the charismatic Pentecostal body of Christ. Thus, the majority of charismatic Pentecostal believers who have been deluded into accepting the validity of them would have extreme difficulty in understanding and accepting that they are scripturally invalid and amount to witchcraft, despite the absolute veracity of both of those assessments. Indeed, the very fact that it has been in otherwise legitimate and normative Pentecostal and Neo-Pentecostal charismatic word-of-faith movement and third-wave at all churches that these cultic doctrines and practices have been taught and instituted has itself augmented their obscurity and continuance. Of course, not all Pentecostal or Neo-Pentecostal churches employ these teachings and tactics, yet a substantial percentage of especially Neo-Pentecostal churches do, in some form and degree, a percentage much higher than what the average believer would surmise. In all fairness, I must say, there no doubt are some leaders who have accepted and instituted these doctrines and practices in their churches in sincere naivety and ignorance without totally comprehending their full import and impact. Many of those cases are the result of those leaders having blithely cloned their ministry structure after someone else's with whom they were associated, affiliated, or simply impressed. Nevertheless, a significant portion of the leaders who have instituted these errant doctrines and practices have done so with deliberation, knowing fully and precisely what they are doing having perceived in them a convenient, well-camouflaged, highly effective, and widely accepted mechanism affording both license and means to predominate and prevail over a group of congregants in order to enlist and mobilize them as the implementers of their personal kingdom building. Once wild, thoroughly indoctrinated, subdued, and subjugated, These indentured congregants then become the willful implementers, agents, collaborators, and operatives for the designs of these errant, self-aggrandizing, and self-exalting ecclesiastical autocrats. The True Nature of Sorcery Asserting as I have that these authoritarian doctrines and practices amount to witchcraft requires that we understand the true nature of witchcraft and sorcery. Witchcraft and sorcery are synonymous terms. Some Bible translations use one term, some the other, but both refer to the same thing. The root Greek word for sorcery is pharmakeia, which literally means to administer drugs. From this Greek word are derived various English words having to do with medicinal drugs or narcotics, such as pharmaceuticals and pharmacy. However, there is a common misconception concerning the nature of witchcraft and sorcery, resulting primarily from the etymology of this Greek word translated sorcery or witchcraft in the New Testament. This word pharmakeia was originally coined to allude to the use of narcotics as mind-altering and transinducing intoxicants in pagan religious ceremonies and ministrations throughout the ancient history of paganism. Notwithstanding while the original meaning of the word had to do with administering drugs to aid in the casting of spells and inducing trances in pagan occult worship, in the passage of time it came to have a broader connotation than just that in the Greek language. It came to be what is known as a metonym, a figure of speech or kind of colloquialism evoking an idea related to but greater than the literal meaning of the word's components. For example, in the colloquial phrase under one roof, it is not really a literal roof only that is being alluded to, but rather the word roof is a metonym referring to an entire building consisting of walls and a roof. Similarly, Both the Greek word pharmakeia, as well as its English equivalent, sorcery, connotes something more than the parochial matter of the use of narcotics in the occult. Rather, it is kind of a catch-all phrase evoking the larger concept of interpersonal predomination and self-imposition as achieved by various means and methods. Hence, the biblical and thus true spiritual connotation of sorcery or witchcraft, it is imperative to understand, transcends the use of drugs as an intoxicant or transinducer in pagan and occult witchcraft. Biblical sorcery and witchcraft centers more on the specter of people manipulating, dominating, controlling, and captivating other people, whether by supernatural that is, demonic or simply. Natural, that is human, means. To put it another way, while the original meaning of sorcery or witchcraft had to do with the casting of spells or the inducement of trances in paganism and the occult, the biblical usage of these words includes psychological means and methods of usurpation and imposition over others as well. For the truth of the matter is that the drug that is used to cast a spell over someone is not always a narcotic. There are also a host of psychological means and methods that, especially with the assistance of demons, are just as trance inducing, compelling, and effective. A spell is not just a state of intoxication induced by a narcotic, rather, a spell is any induced condition in which a person's natural and normal self-control over his own thinking and actions is usurped, counteracted, controlled, or simply influenced by some unnatural, non-indigenous, exterior force. However, the ultimate force behind spells and trances, regardless of the agent, means, or method by which they are induced, is demons and the devil. Simply stated, the true spiritual definition and application of sorcery or witchcraft is using any form of persuasion, influence, intrigue, or inducement, delusion, predomination, or outright coercion, whether of natural, human, psychological, or spiritual, that is, evil spirits, origin, to unduly and improperly influence, manipulate, dominate, or control someone else in order to gain ascendancy or advantage for self-aggrandizement." To put it in even simpler terms, sorcery or witchcraft is endeavoring to get someone else to do what you want them to do, is prevailing upon others in order to get them to yield their will to your will. It is volition, or will, captivation. It is self-imposition and usurpation. It is being an interloper it is dominating and controlling others. God revealed through the prophet Samuel's rebuke of the disobedient king of Israel, Saul, that witchcraft or sorcery is essentially synonymous with rebellion and that disobedience, which in essence is rebellion, is synonymous with iniquity, acts of specific trespass and offense against God. And idolatry, the imposition of false gods in God's place. Quote, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness, disobedience, is as iniquity and idolatry. End quote. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-three. What this means, in other words, is that witchcraft is rebellion, and rebellion is witchcraft. Moreover, disobedience, stubbornness, is defiance, disregard, and displacement of God. Are you enjoying this podcast? Would you take just a minute to think about all the precious resources it takes to produce and make available a resource such as this? time, talent, thinking, planning, preparing, studying, writing, editing, organizing, recording, audio editing, a multiplicity of post-production and publishing tasks, and on and on it goes. The big professional news and media companies employ 10 to 20 people to produce a presentation such as this podcast at a cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you enjoy the program, would you be so kind as to take a minute and pray to ask God if he would have you lend a helping hand our way in the form of financial support? In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash To make a donation of any amount. Your gifts would be so greatly appreciated and used for the glory of God in the production of this program. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you abundantly for your generosity and graciousness. The Means and Methods of Sorcery Now that is the nature of sorcery and witchcraft, but let's examine now the various means and methods by which sorcery and witchcraft can be effected. Sorcery can be effected either by natural, human means, or by supernatural, demonic means. Supernatural means are those means and media involving explicit inducement and abetment by demons. It entails any and all of the manifold, satanically-perpetrated occult methods and modes that exist, which range from sensual or sexual seduction to voodoo, from seemingly innocent child's play with a Ouija board or an eight-ball to seances and consulting mediums, from casual and supposedly-for-amusement-only reading of newspaper horoscopes to overt bona fide Satan worship. All of this kind of sorcery and witchcraft is included in the biblical attribution of divination. Satan has thoroughly infiltrated this kind of divinational influences and devices into virtually every segment and element of human society and life. Though this interpersonal predomination is sometimes affected through these supernatural means and witchcraft and sorcery is generally associated with satanic activities, it is vital to understand, however, that to engage in sorcery and witchcraft does not require the involvement of supernatural power from demons. Rather, it can also be affected through merely natural, human means emanating out of the human spirit. The unregenerate human spirit, permeated as it is with the carnal, sin nature of Satan, intrinsically, certainly is sufficiently evil-prone and evil-proficient in itself to devise and implement devices of unauthorized control over others on its own without any assistance of demon spirits. In the creational order, only the divine spirit, nature of God, transcends the human spirit, and being made in the image of God, the human spirit has some capacity for creativity, though it is limited specifically to the natural realm. Interpersonal predomination emanating from the human spirit is the natural human means of sorcery. Natural human means would include a wide variety of interpersonal machinations and mechanisms operated in the psychological realm. At one end of that spectrum is an entire range of such machinations and mechanisms falling under the category of what is generally referred to by such terms as the power of persuasion which is commonly considered a benign, relatively harmless, fair, and appropriate art form. Somewhere in the middle of the spectrum is a realm of a kind of Machiavellian intrigue, it could be called, permeating virtually every segment of life and society, from politics to the ministry wherein the means, no matter how immoral, improper, or unethical, is considered to be justified by the end. At the opposite end of the spectrum is the more intrinsically sinister and guileful realm of overt predomination by means of a host of psychological mechanisms, the object of which is mind-control. Now, of course, not all persuasion is intrinsically evil. There is the benign type of persuasion in which one person presents information to another in an attempt to convince that person of the validity of his own perspectives or convictions. However, what makes that kind of inducement benign is that there is no coercion or usurpation of the other person's will involved. The first person is merely presenting to the other person his personal perspective, along with supposed corroborative information for the second person's consideration. In the case of illegitimate interpersonal predomination, however, some sort of influence is being covertly injected in order to short-circuit the normal consideration process, and to usurp the victim's natural volition, will, for the purpose of subjugation and captivation. As an aside, within the foregoing also is manifest the somewhat subtle difference between legitimate preaching and teaching versus unauthorized indoctrination, aimed at psychological domination. Ministers have a responsibility to preach the truth and teach people how to apply the truth in practical living. But we must never be guilty of in any way alluring or coercing our listeners into ostensible obedience. God desires that we be obedient to Him not out of coercion, but out of willingness. Isaiah 1.19 Like any human parent, God wants willing obedience from His children. Willing obedience is what brings God pleasure. Coerced obedience really is not obedience at all, but compulsion. The approach of ministers toward their listeners should be the same as God's toward us. We can enjoin, exhort, and evangelize, that is, call people to God, but we must never coerce or compel. In essence, what this speaks of is what indeed is the very heart of sorcery, the matter of volition. You're listening to The Real Truth Podcast. Other episodes of the podcast can be found at Realtruthradio.com. The matter of volitional authority or personal authority is addressed in some detail in Chapter 4 of the book from which this booklet is adapted, Charismatic Captivation. It may be helpful to review the commentary on that subject in that it is related to the topic of this chapter. As indicated there, volitional authority is the third highest level of authority God has established in His creational order. Only two other types of authority supersede it, God's own sovereignty and the voracious authority of God's Word. This personal authority entails the human will, or free moral agency as theologians refer to it with which God has endowed every human being. Essentially, it is the inherent right to personal sovereignty or autocracy, that is, the right to self-government and free choice. This right, as I stated in chapter 4, is absolutely inviolable within the restraints of lawfulness. This means that no one but no one has been consigned the right by God to violate or in any way encroach upon the right to self-government vested in each human, as long as that person engages in righteousness and lawful conduct and refrains from engaging in any iniquitous conduct or acts of lawlessness against any other person. Illustrating the sanctity and absolute inviolability of the human free will is the fact that, though he certainly is sovereign over all, God himself will never usurp or in any way forcibly infringe upon the free will of any human being, even when our actions and their consequences are not in our own best interest. Now when we have willingly subjected ourselves unto His lordship and fatherhood as a part of His great fatherly love for us, He will indeed chasten and discipline us. Hebrews 12:5 through 11 Nevertheless, though He invites whosoever will affirmatively respond to be adopted into the heavenly family, And though he loves us ever so immensely and deeply desires that all be saved, he will not force himself, his sovereignty, nor his fatherhood upon any individual to the point that he will allow us to choose the abyss and agonies of hell over the bliss and blessings of heaven. Thus, since the Creator has Himself chosen to grant to every human being such enormous and unrestrained free agency in imitating God as we are enjoined to do by the Word of God, Ephesians 5.1, et al., we the created certainly, then, are compelled to deal with our fellows in like manner neither coercing nor in any way imposing our will upon anyone else. Indeed, to impose our will upon anyone else is the antithesis of the holy and beneficent divine nature, and in fact is the very essence of sorcery, which is the essence of the thoroughly unholy, rebellious, and self-seeking nature of Satan. Hello, this is Dr. Stephen Lambert, the author of the book Charismatic Captivation and several other books dealing with topics vital to believers' lives. Charismatic Captivation is one of the most important books you'll ever read in your entire lifetime. The reason I say that is not out of arrogance or marketing hyperbole to sell books, but rather because the matters addressed in this book are absolutely vital to every believer's walk with God and their understanding regarding the proper role of spiritual leaders in their life. Multitudes of true and trusting believers around the world are at this very moment ensnared in the virtually invisible web of religious captivation and don't know it. What I mean is that these sincere followers of Christ are unaware victims of authoritarian abuse, psychological enslavement, and financial exploitation perpetrated under the heavy hand of hyper-authoritarianism, that is to say that their spiritual leaders are dominating, controlling, manipulating, and exploiting them for their own personal gain and to build their own private kingdom, which they call a church or ministry, but really is merely their own private business and source of personal income. The question is, are you or a loved one or friend one of the many victims of this insidious form of psychological abuse? Well, I wrote charismatic captivation so that you can know for certain if you are one of the many victims worldwide. For some 20 years prior to writing this book, my ministry was adversely impacted by the far-reaching tentacles of dominating and controlling church leaders because of my steadfast resistance to and outspoken criticism of the pyramid-like multi-level downline system that proponents of these false doctrines and practitioners of the resulting corrupt ministry model were constructing within many segments of the church around the world. I've remained undaunted, unbowed, and undeterred with regard to my opposition to these satanic fallacies and have continued to teach the real truth of what God says about these matters in His Word without regard to cost. I just believe that someone must be willing to stand in the gap and battle against the forces of hell in such matters. It was out of my battles against this destructive deception that God led me to write this book as a medium through which he could set the captives free from the bondage of authoritarian abuse and exploitation. And since its release multiplied hundreds upon hundreds, probably thousands, have indeed been set free as they read the inspired and anointed message the Holy Spirit communicated through this volume to the victims he so desperately wants to liberate. In charismatic captivation, I deal with the false teaching behind this dastardly and deadly deception. Enumerate 33 signs and symptoms of spiritual abuse to look for, uncover the 12 common control mechanisms controlling leaders employ to captivate their victims, and reveal 15 hours of recovery from authoritarian abuse. The biblical steps victims must take to truly recover from the psychologically traumatizing and spiritually devastating effects of religious domination and control by spiritual leaders. The message of this book did not arise out of anger, but rather a desire to set the captives free. This is not a personal matter. Satan is the adversary and author of these doctrines of demons. So the battle is not against flesh and blood, but evil spirits. So there's not one hint of charismatic bashing or any other kind of disparagement within the pages of this book. The fact of the matter is, I myself am a charismatic minister. The message of charismatic captivation is one of spiritual warfare, it's all out war against an unrelenting and dastardly adversary whose goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Warfare is not for wimps or the weak. Wars are not won by weak-kneed warriors or mamby-pamby Casper-milk-toast Christianettes. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force, said Jesus. If you have any suspicions at all, That you or someone you love or care about is a victim of authoritarian abuse. Don't even think about it anymore. You need to order your own personal copy of Charismatic Captivation today without any further hesitation. So don't delay. Order the book that has set hundreds of captives free around the world today. You'll be glad you did. So again, don't delay. Place your order today. Learn more at charismatic-captivation.com charismatic-captivation.com Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.